U.S. Navy history arriving. Welcome back to the U.S. Navy History Podcast. I am Dale, and over there is the XO, Steven. Hey there, everyone. So today we are going to cover the Aegean Sea anti-piracy operations of the United States with one of the battles. And then we're going to go over to the first Sumerian expedition. Well, I can't say I've heard of either of these before. Ready to cast off? Let's get underway. So the Aegean Sea anti-piracy operations began in 1825 when the U.S. dispatched a squadron of ships to suppress the Aegean Greek pirates. And these guys were going around because of a Greek civil war and a decline of the Greek Navy. So the Greek Navy wasn't there, so the pirates come out to play. The Aegean area quickly became a haven for pirates who sometimes doubled as privateers, as a lot of them do. These guys started attacking American merchant vessels, so the Mediterranean squadron got involved. Yeah, that makes sense. We seem to have to do this song and dance every decade or so. Yeah, and this lasted about three years. So the Greek Navy was defeated in 1823 at the Battle of Bodrum. So the Greek Navy turned to privateering. And because of this, piracy became widespread. So a number of American merchant ships were plundered in 1828. So President James Monroe sent Commodore John Rogers to protect American commerce. So from 1825 to 1828, seven American warships were assigned to the Mediterranean Squadron, which includes the flagship USS North Carolina, a frigate, the USS Constitution, the sloops USS Fairfield, USS Lexington, and USS Ontario, and the schooners USS Porpoise and USS Warren. Sorry, no peacock. I'm pretty sure at this point the peacock was decorating the bottom of the ocean. There could have been more. <laughs> peacocks. So the sloops and slooners were the main vessels that were used against the pirates because of the larger ships were not very effective. They were too slow. Right. Piracy's all about, you know, quick hit and runs. The Greek pirates used three small, massive vessels. They were called misotokes and were usually just armed with one bow gun. So we're doing the same thing that the Barbary Coast did and that, you know, maybe a shot or two to frighten the merchant sailors and then just grapple on over and, you know, take them hostage and take them for everything they have. Yeah, exactly. The pirates don't target military vessels mm. because they will be outmatched every time. They target civilian vessels. So Commodore Rogers, 1st Squadron, used its time to convoy merchant ships and did not really fight any battles. The next year in 26, the squadron was withdrawn and a second one was sent in 27 after piracy re-escalated once they saw, oh, no more military vessels. And again, John Rogers was in command. Now, the USS Warren would be the first to fight any of the pirates in a battle and in September she ceased her escort duty while under the command of Lieutenant Lawrence Carney she captured a 
16-gun brig on October 4th while patrolling around Cape Matapan and the port of Carabusa. One boat and 15 pirates were taken. So that brig doesn't really fit the description of the boats that the Greek pirates were usually using to engage in the piracy. Did she know that that brig was engaging in the acts or just reasonable cause? More than likely reasonable cause. I mean, pirates, when they capture boats, they can upgrade, That's if you will. Yeah, that's fair. So while sailing in a convoy on October 16th, a Lieutenant Lewis M. Goldsboro of the Porpoise, they liberated a British brig named the Comet after they watched it get captured by 250 pirates in five small vessels. So when they engaged, they killed or wounded 90 of the pirates. And the Americans themselves suffered no casualties at all. Hmm. So after this engagement, the three brigs left the convoy and two of them were later attacked. The first brig was captured off Chios and the second one was abandoned by her crew before it was actually captured. And then on October 23rd, a American sailor from the Porpoise was wounded in a small battle near Andros. The Warren chased a 10-gun pirate brig on October 25th, and it was grounded before it was sunk. The pirates, of course, jumped overboard and escaped ashore, as they are wont to do. I'm noticing a bit of a pattern in these uh, pirate actions. They engage in, you know, piracy and robbery of civilian vessels, and then they get the attention of the U.S. Navy, and then they run or jump overboard wholesale. Mm-hmm. So the Warren recovers an American ship Cherub and the Australian vessel Silence off of Ciro's on the 28th of October. And then two days later, the Americans captured a pirate, Trata, which was propelled by 40 oars and landed sailors and marines on Mykonos to recover stolen property from the before-mentioned Cherub, Silence, and the Rob Roy. One of the pirate boats was burned during the landing, and the town was shelled. Then on November 7th, a boat expedition from the Warren, who was commanded by Lieutenant William L. Hudson, he destroys a pirate boat and captures another off of Andros. Then the Warren also lands men on Argentier and Milos in December, and then convoyed eight American merchant vessels from Milos to Samaria. So in just two months, the Warren captures or destroys seven pirate vessels, rescues three merchant ships, recovers stolen property, escorts two convoys, and patrolled hundreds of miles in the Mediterranean. Mission accomplished indeed. And by the end of 1827, the United Kingdom, Russia, and France had deployed their own fleets to the Aegean to suppress piracy and to support Greek independence from the Ottoman Empire. So by January 1828, a combined fleet of British-French warships attacks Karabusa, which was a major center of piracy. And, you know, once it's destroyed, the reports of pirates' attacks pretty much dry up. 
yeah, that tracks. Destroy their base of operations, and they have to completely rebuild from the ground up. So, for the time being, at least, we're good. See you next decade for more piracy operations. Right. So, Samuel L. Southard, he was the Secretary of the Navy at this time. He declared that because of the convoy system enforced by the United States Navy and the arrival of powerful fleets in the Aegean, the threat of piracy was eliminated. So he's saying piracy across the board, not just piracy in the Aegean. I'm pretty sure he just means the Aegean. Oh, okay. Because he specifically said with the arrival of powerful fleets in the Aegean. Hmm, okay, okay. So we do have one example of one of the battles. It was the Battle of Doro Passage. This is against the U.S. Navy and the Greek pirates. This happened October 16th, 1827, when a British merchant ship was being attacked by the pirates. In the Doro Passage, off of the islands of Andros and Negroponte, and then was retaken by the American sailors. All right. So the Greek War of Independence changed the balance of sea power in the Mediterranean Sea to shift against the Ottoman Empire. This leads to a rise of piracy, particularly among the Greek islands in the Aegean. So the Navy sends out ships to protect their merchantmen. And Lieutenant Benjamin Cooper commands a 12-gun schooner, the USS Porpoise. He was in the process of escorting five American merchantmen and six other merchantmen from Saimara to Malta. So... There on dusk on October 16th, the convoy was sailing through the passage. Yeah. And then, all of a sudden, they were becalmed. Ah, crap. Yeah. The British brig Comet had fallen behind. And now that the wind was gone, she started drifting away from the rest of the convoy. And was set upon by two to three hundred Greek pirates in five boats. The small boats. The ones with the one cannon and the... On the bow? Right, right. The ones that they stereotypically were using. Yes. So the pirates quickly take control of Comet and put most of the crew in chains before attempting to flee back to the islands from which they had attacked from. The British captain and some of her crewmen managed to lower a boat and paddle to the porpoise. They were heading back to find the Comet after the Americans heard some shooting. Lieutenant Connor gave the order to open fire and chase the Greeks, who were trying to tow the comet away. But because of the becalmed conditions, the sailors had to propel the ships by oar. So when they failed to close the range, Lieutenant Cooper dispatches four boats with 35 men under them. And he, this was commanded by Lieutenant Lewis M. Goldsboro. The Americans felt that with these small boats, they could close faster and attempt to cut out the captured brig. So now dark has fallen and the Greeks open fire on the approaching boats. But of course, you know, it's dark. They've really had a lot of trouble hitting their targets. Yeah, it's, it's a little hard to shoot a cannon accurately when uh, you just know they're in that general direction, probably on the water. That's good. On the water. I never would have thought of that. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I'm paid the big bucks. So, because of this darkness, no Americans were hurt. So, now they board the comet. 
there was there was a wardroom steward that was with the crew that was trying to take back the comet, and he single-handedly killed eleven pirates. The heck is a wardroom steward, officer servant? I'm 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 just imagining Alfred just going ham. Guess what? The Navy still uses them. <laughs> You're telling me. In today's United States Navy, there is an official position that is effectively manservant for an officer. Not for a single officer, for a group of officers, but yes. Today I learned. I mean, they're not, their rate is not called officer servant, but yes, there are enlisted personnel who take care of the officers. So we, we will have to go into this in more detail later on then. But this just uh, raises so many questions. So Lieutenant John A. Carr kills the pirate leader and several others with his pistol. So ultimately, 80 to 90-ish pirates are casualties, uh, while the remaining ones escape to shore in their boats. Lieutenant Goldsboro receives recognition for winning the largest battle of the American campaign in the Aegean, and a message of thanks from the British government. It's still very strange that we're getting along after how much time we spent trying to shoot one another. A lot of bodies left in the way. That's how you become good friends. Just think of how much better you would get along with your best friend if there was a pile of bodies behind you. Ah, uh, yes, we tried killing each other several times now, but now we finally are getting along. It only took... A dozen murders. There you go. The first Sumatran expedition. This features the Battle of Kuala Bato and Kuala Batri in 1832. And this was a punitive expedition by the United States Navy against the village of Kuala Bati. Wait, wait, wait. The United States Navy pulled out all the stops for one village. Yes. I can't wait to hear this story. So, the island of Sumatra is renowned as an excellent source of pepper. And throughout history, ships have come to the island to trade for it. Right. In 1831, the American merchantman, Friendship, under Captain Charles Edicott, had arrived off of the chiefdom of Kuala Banti in order to secure this pepper from them. Now, was this a ship named Friend? Friendship? Well, this is just going to get confusing. Just think of it as the friendly ship. <laughs> so, various small trading boats started back and forth along the coast, trading pepper with the merchant ships that were waiting offshore. And on February 7th, in 1831, Etticott and a few of his men went ashore to purchase some of the pepper from the natives when three proas attacked his ship, murdering the first officer and two other of her crew and plundering her cargo. Now, I assume that was a local tribe? Or is proa a name of the local boat? It is a small boat. Okay. Typically single sail, not very big at all. All right. 
So Etikot and the other surviving members of his crew did manage to escape to another port with the assistance of a friendly native chief named O. Adam, where he enlisted the help of three other merchant captains who agreed to help him recover his ship. With their help, he did manage to retake his ship and eventually sailed back to Salem. And when he reached there, there was, of course, a general public outcry against the massacre of his men. And in response, President Andrew Jackson dispatched the frigate USS Potomac under Commodore John Dowes to punish the natives for their treachery. So I know we've just spent a trio of episodes going on about how Jackson really does not like native populations. Do we know why? They attacked the merchant vessel, or I'm sure we only have reports and documentation from the merchants. Yeah, no, there's no explanation of why they attacked the merchantmen. So it could be anything from local piracy to, you know, them retaliating against a slight that the merchants didn't think was a slight. This was, you killed some of our people, we're going to kill you. Right. Now, the Dutch expedition on the west coast of Sumatra of 1831 was done by the Royal Netherlands East Indians Army. This was in result, this was in response to this incident. It served as an excuse to annex parts of the Ak Sultanate. So... The Potomac reached Kuala Bati on February 5th of 1832. Here, Dows meets Poe Adam, who tells them that the local leaders would in no way be paying compensation for the attack on the French ship. So Commodore Downs then decides to disguise his ship as a Danish merchantman in order to keep the element of surprise in his favor. So... He takes down the American flag and puts up the Danish flag. Always back to the flag closet. Yeah. Now, this disguise worked so well. A party of Malays boarded Potomac, attempting to sell pepper to them. <laughs> and surprise, surprise, they were immediately detained. So they cannot alert Kuala Bati of the real identity of the Potomac. Downs then sends a reconnaissance party to scout out the defenses of the port, but this was repulsed by the Malays. So in addition to these three small boats in the harbor, at least five forts were found to be guarding the town, with most of them near the coastline. So Downs orders a detachment of 282 marines and blue jackets into the ship's boats some of which had been equipped with a few of the Potomac's lighter cannons. And it was from these boats that the sailors and marines burnt the melee vessels in Kula Banti's harbor and assaults the town's forts while being supported by the guns of the Potomac. Now, the muskets that the Americans used were far superior to the matchlock weapons that the melees had. Oh, no. It, just so I'm on the same page, matchlock is where you actually have that burning wick before 
the rifle will actually fire the projectile, right? Like, it is almost like a, a cannon. Handheld. Yeah. It has the flash pan, and, you know, yeah. You, it, It's not hyperbole to say that unless you're really well-drilled, it takes over a minute to load another shot. Even with being well-drilled, I think it took longer than a minute to reload. And you had to keep the match constantly lit so you could keep, so you could fire it. See if yeah, in a in a tropical island, what could possibly go wrong trying to keep a match lit to fire your really, really outdated rifle? Uh, did you know that they were still in use as late as the second half of the 20th century? By who? Tibetan nomad fighters. Okay, I mean, that that tracks, you know, a relatively isolated nation and guerrilla fighters at that in that nation. I mean, if you don't have much, you'll take what you can get. Yeah. So, we're going muskets versus matchlocks. Now, even though the natives had the matchlocks and the muskets were better, they still fiercely, fiercely fought. And it, the fighting soon devolved into hand-to-hand combat in which one of the Rajas commanding the forts was killed along with about 150 other of 150 of his men. Only And what about American casualties? Only two died during the attack and 11 sailors and Marines suffered injury. That that tracks with the technology discrepancy. So after the coastal forts fall, the remaining melees flee towards the rear of the town where another fort lay. But instead of engaging the last remaining fort, the Americans attack the town itself. Oh. And of course, large-scale looting and pillaging occurs, with a range of plunder being looted from the town as well as many civilians killed. Downs then orders his men to return to the ship and bombard the last fort, as well as the town, until hopefully a surviving leader agrees to surrender, which kills about another 300 natives. So the remaining leaders do end up begging for mercy, and Downs informs them that if any American ships are attacked again, then the same thing would happen again. So other leaders from nearby states also sent delegations to the ship, pleading that Downs spare them from the same fate as Kuala Bati. Downs leaves the area to continue his journey. Eventually, he circumnavigates the globe, stopping in Hawaii and entertaining the king and queen aboard his vessel. This is, still, this is back when Hawaii was still a kingdom unto itself. Right, sovereign nation... So, was he the first American naval vessel to circumnavigate the globe? Specifically U.S. Navy or period? Um, I, I was saying U.S. Navy. I'm assuming merchants did it more often than not. So, the first U.S. warship to circumnavigate the globe was the USS Vinces in 1826, I believe. Hmm, okay. I just don't recall circumnavigation coming up before, so... My first thought was like, oh, so this, this guy may have been the first to do it then as a naval officer for the United States. But looks like he was beat by a few years. 
Yeah. It uh, took four years to circumnavigate. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I think Magellan did it faster. So, sh- the just, just real quick, the USS Vincennes was commissioned and set sail for the first time September 3rd, 1826. And she went from New York bound for the Pacific. She visited the Hawaiian Islands in 1829 and made her way to Macau in 1830. Then came back by way of China, the Philippines, the Indian Ocean, and the Cape of Good Hope. So when she arrived back in New York on June 8th, 1830, she was decommissioned. So she circumnavigated the globe and then was decommissioned. Yeah, well, Cape Horn and the Cape of Good Hope will do hefty damage to a ship. Yeah, maybe we'll, we'll get into her specifically one, t- one day. I mean, she did a lot more than... She did a lot more in those four years. The USS Triton was the first submarine to complete a circumnavigation of the globe in 1960. Hmm. We'll have to go into uh, the Triton's history at some point. Probably many, many episodes from now, though, because that was in the 60s. Yeah, she was a nuclear-powered sub, too. So we're a bit away from going from wind power to nuclear power. Uh, I don't know about that, Captain. I got some really old-looking documents here saying, you know, for eyes only, how to beat Greek pirates, and it looks an awful lot like a nuclear sub. (laughs) (laughs) So, there was some criticism on Downs saying that he did not attempt to negotiate with the settlement by peaceable means, but of course, the general public was satisfied with what he did. So no action was taken against him. They killed, I know they, you said they killed the first mate. How many sailors did they kill overall, though? A half dozen, maybe? It was the first officer and uh, two other members of her crew. But... Okay, so three. They took the cargo. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, the, okay, so the truth reveals itself. That's the problem there. Three civilians is an insult... The cargo complement, it's just business. So the troubles with the Kuala Bati were not over because in 1838, another ship was massacred. And true to Down's threat, the second Sumatran expedition under George C. Reed goes in. And we'll get into that on the second Sumatran expedition. So that's it for that. How you feeling? Uh, I'm, I'm feeling like I know the United States has a very painful to look at with hindsight history regarding native populations. And then I hear more stuff about, oh yeah, that wasn't just the folks in the way of Western expansion that also got caught up in that. Oh, if you were a native population in this time and somebody decided they wanted to come in, whether it be the U.S., Spain, England, anybody, yeah. Manifest destiny and colonialism at its finest. Yeah. It was a bad time to be native. It it was a bad time to be a non-European-centric nation. Well, on that note, thank you guys for joining us. We're going to keep it short this week. Steve, anything you'd like to uh, say before we uh, pull back in? 
Well, looking at the roster for our show, it looks like more and more of you are listening, and we're really glad you're enjoying the show. We'd love it if you left a review, and if you'd like, we could read it as we're recording. You can also reach out to us at usnavyhistorypod at gmail.com. usnavyhistorypodcast at gmail.com. The Twitter is usnhistorypod. The captain just had to make it confusing and different. Oh, it's straight right here. (laughs) You just need to be a better officer. Well, you know what? I'm going to enjoy a nice cup of dark roast Sumatran coffee and see if the caffeine helps me remember it. That's your problem. You need to get good U.S. Navy coffee. None of that fancy crap. Just U.S. Navy coffee. Hey, Captain, I've seen what comes out of your coffee machine. It looks like the oil that the engineers use to uh, keep the ship all smooth and lubricated. That's what coffee's for. It keeps you smooth and lubricated. You and I have different uses for coffee, then. Fair winds and following seas. See you later, folks. U.S. Naval History Podcast, departing 